This morning, would you turn your Bibles to the Old Testament book of Exodus in chapter 2. We'll begin in verse 11 today. There's sermon notes at novachurch.org or on the Nova Community Church app. Exodus chapter 2, verse 11. One of the most common questions that people want to talk about just in everyday life is, what is the best for my life? They'll ask questions like, what is God's direction for me? Or, or what is the calling of God like? Maybe someone might say to you this afternoon, I've got to make a decision. What is the right way according to God? Well, he knew. He knew with a crystal clear sense of what God was calling him to. But when he stepped out to fulfill God's will in his life, a strange thing happened. It wasn't what he imagined it to be. Everything went wrong, and everything seemed to fall apart. It, it was as if God told him what his purpose would be but no one else got the memo. The people he was trying to help, they ended up sarcastically mocking him. The government leaders turned on him. And the most powerful man in the world, well, he wanted to kill him. And so with fear and uncertainty in his heart and confusion and questions in his head, he packed up his bags, he loaded up his camels, and he wanted to get away from the fear and the confusion. He found himself in the wilderness, in the desert, in a strange place far, far away, in a place he never dreamed that he would be. And in that barren and lonely place, he pondered, what in the world went wrong. How could he have such a clear path, a crystal clear direction and purpose? How could what he just experienced be so different than what he was sure God was calling him to? And after thinking about this for many years, he probably came to the conclusion that he was dead wrong. He was dead wrong in the first place. But you know what? He wasn't wrong at all. He wasn't wrong about God's will. He, he was wrong. He was wrong about God's timing. His name is Moses. And we'll continue his story in chapter 2 of our sermon series on the book of Exodus. Now, we're in part three today, and if you missed the first two parts, I encourage you to go to the Nova Community Church app or novachurch.org, and you can catch up because the videos of the first two sermons are posted there. Now, the children of Israel, as we've learned, were in slavery for centuries. And, and the living and the working conditions were brutal 
and yet the Hebrew nation, they just continued to thrive. And Pharaoh, the king, was concerned at the Israelites, their population growth, and so he enacted a law that every Hebrew baby boy must be thrown into the Nile to be killed. Well, the scriptures tell us that there was a baby boy who was born and he was no ordinary child, the Bible says. His parents kept him for about three months and they put him, then they put him in a basket and they floated him down the river. Pharaoh's daughter discovered the child and realized he was a Hebrew baby boy. You ever wonder how she knew he was Hebrew? Well, he was a baby. And if you know anything about the Jewish people, eight days after a baby was born, what did they do? We don't need to say it out loud, but uh, <laughs> that's how I think she knew. Now, Miriam, the, the baby boy's sister, was watching as Pharaoh's daughter drew him out of the water. And she went over to the Pharaoh's daughter and asked, I know someone who could nurse the baby. Would you like me to get her? And then so Miriam got her mother and, and reunited her baby brother with her mother, with their mother. And in Exodus chapter 2, verse 10, from the last time in our series, it says, when the child grew older, the mother took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. But today, in verse 11, it's strange, but we fast forward 40 years from that moment. Exodus chapter 2, verse 11. One day, after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people, looking this way and that and seeing no one. He killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. and He asked one, the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? And then the man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? And then Moses was afraid, and he thought, what I did must have become known. And when Pharaoh heard this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh, and he went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Now let's stop there for now. In your Bibles, in Acts chapter 7, and in Hebrews chapter 11, we get more of this story. It kind of fills in some gaps and answers some questions for us. For example, when I said from verse 10 in Exodus chapter 2 to verse 11, I said we fast forward 40 years, how would you know that just by reading here in Exodus? Well, it says in, in um, Acts chapter 7, where we see Stephen, the martyr, he was giving a speech chronicling Israel's history that leads all the way to Jesus, Messiah. And in Acts chapter 7, verse 20, Stephen says, at that time Moses was born, he was no ordinary child. For three months he was cared for by his family. When he was 
When he was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him up as her own son. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. So that sentence there, we get a clue of as Moses is growing up, how he was educated. And he was powerful, it says here, in speech, that's important for us to know later, in an action. In verse 23 it says, when Moses was 40 years old, that's where we get that, he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites. He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian, so he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. So we get more of that story filled in there. And then in Hebrews chapter 11, we get more insight into the life of Moses. It says in verse 24, Hebrews 11, it says, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as a son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now here, the insight is this. We're, we're going to get into what's going on in Moses' head. We learn here that Moses is identifying with his own people, the Hebrews, rather than going with his powerful and wealthy adopted family, the Egyptians. Verse 25, he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as a greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. And so this really fills out our story with Moses. But I think it's interesting here in verse 26, it says, he, Moses, regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ. Now remember, the time of Moses was thousands of years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And a lot of people take this verse here in verse 26, the misconception of when they think Christ, they're thinking he was waiting for Jesus. Well, Christ, some people, it's not Jesus' last name, okay? Christ means Messiah. It means anointed or anointed one or deliverer. So Moses was not looking forward here to Jesus the person, but Moses was looking forward to the promise of Messiah, of deliverer, of the anointed one. So let's go back to Exodus 2 and pick up the story as Moses flees to Midian. Take a look at verse 16 here in Exodus 2. It says, Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water at the well and fill the troughs of water for their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away, but Moses got up and came to their rescue and watered their flock. Now, when we read through the Bible, we observe a pattern of Moses' life. If you, we'll, we'll read more um, in the coming weeks, but there's a pattern to Moses' life. When he was under attack, he was calm, and he appeared to just trust in God during those times. But when someone else was under attack, he had, Moses had the character trait of a rescuer. And he, he was always wanting to strongly, strongly carry out justice. In some situations, it was very admirable. In other situations, it was a, it was a disaster. Take a look at verse 18. 
Exodus 2, it says, And when the girls returned to Ruel, their father, he asked them, Why have you returned so early today? And they answered, An Egyptian. Now, how did they know he was an Egyptian? Let's think about that. Was it his clothing? Maybe. His physical appearance? Maybe his hair? Maybe his beard? Um, maybe he had an accent as he, as he spoke? But Egyptians, by all outward appearances, were different. They were part of the rich and the powerful of the time. And so they said, an Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. The father asks, where is he? The father of daughters, it says here, important to note. Where is he? Why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat with us, right? Now, there's something going on here, and I think you can get the clue. This girl dad, right here, right? Seven daughters, right? Could it be that, that this girl dad wants to marry off a daughter to a rich and powerful Egyptian man? I think, I think we understand that here. Moses, in, in uh, verse 21, it says, Moses agreed to stay with the man who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. Zipporah gave birth to a son, and Moses named him Gershom, saying, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. That's what Gershom means, stranger, exile, wanderer. Now, Moses names his son Gershom in a, in a, in a strange way to remind him that everything, Moses is thinking, everything I was called to has not taken place. Everything I thought my purpose was about, I've lost. I'm a stranger in a strange land. And so he names his son that to remind him of that. Verse 23, it says, During that long period the king of Egypt died, the Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help uh, because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Now, the story from here takes this incredible, just a, amazing, no one ever saw it coming to place sort of turn. But you're going to have to join us next week for that, and, uh, and we'll get to that. But today, I think it's important because a lot of people take this section of Scripture and kind of look at it as a transition, just sort of like uh, it's the transition part between all this other stuff and the really important, exciting stuff here. But we're just going to stop here and ask ourselves, um, what are the lessons we can learn here? And the lessons here are the lessons of God's plan and purpose for our life. And so, number one, our first lesson we're going to take here is this. With God's will, pay attention to the timing. With God's will, pay attention to the timing. Many look at this passage, and like I said, it's just sort of a transitional piece of Scripture that leads us to something way more important. But I want to stop here and ask, what can verses 11 through 25 teach us about God's plan and purpose for our life? Now, most of us will come to a point in our life and ask, what is God's will? And maybe you might not say those words, what is God's will, but maybe you'll 
ask yourself, how can I make the best decision in my life with something very important? And so maybe you're asking a question right now, should we lease or should we buy? And you're thinking, I wonder what God thinks about that. Or should we stay or should we move? Maybe you're thinking, should I try out to, for that team or that squad or for that, for that leadership position? Or should I just sort of stay right where I'm at? Should I tell her that I like her? Should I, should I, should I ask her to prom? Right? How about college? Should I go to college? What colleges should I apply to? What's my major? What major uh, should, I, should I go for? Maybe you're asking yourself, should I take a risk for that new job? Should I ask her to marry me? Should I order the salad or the cheeseburger and fries today? <laughs> Not sure if God really cares. Well, maybe he does. You know, I, go for the burger and fries. I mean, I, <laughs> these are questions, though. They're big questions. They're small questions. They're all part of our life. I mean, they, they are. They're part of our life. In this passage, though, we're going to discover some important principles about how God's will is revealed and how we should respond to them. Now, the right thing at the wrong time is always a big mistake. The right thing at the wrong time is always a big mistake. For instance, should we share the good news, should we share the gospel with someone who doesn't know him? And the answer to that is yes. We should. That's God's will. But have you ever observed or watched someone share the right words about Jesus at the wrong time? I think we've all seen that. Many people think that, it's, that God's will is a what? But they never stop to think that there's a when attached to that. Timing is incredibly important when it comes to God's will. And Moses is absolutely right in what he was supposed to do, but he did it 40 years too soon, it appears. So, the first is, you know, when it comes to God's will, pay attention to the timing. The second is this, with God's will, pay attention to the how. Not just with the timing, but with the how. We need to pay attention to the timing, and we need to pay attention to how do we carry it out. Because God never wants us to take matters into our own hands and with our own strength. In Moses, we saw incredibly righteous intent, serving the Midianite women at the well and, and defending the Hebrew that was beaten, but he got the how totally wrong in one of those cases. And, and we're called in to step in when we see a justice situation, but we're not called to kill people and bury them in the sand. We get in trouble here when we think that God needs us to do something. And we, we see things in the world that are wrong, and there's tons, tons these days and they're painful things, 
And we begin to think that God needs me sometimes. If I have to do the wrong thing to get right results, God's not in it. I'll tell you that right now. James chapter 1, verse 20, it says, Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So important. It's not about our anger that produces the righteousness that God desires. Moses, he was in line with God's will. And when he stepped in to confront the Egyptian beating the Hebrew, he, that, was a, that was a good thing. And he was in line with God's will when he was protecting the midnight, midnight women from those nasty shepherds. But in one of those situations, Moses took matters into his own hands, and his anger took over, and he did the right thing in the wrong way. So we must follow God's will in the right time. We must follow God's will in the right way. Otherwise, it's not the will of God. And number three, lessons we can learn with God's plan and his purpose is this. When we mess up, God's will is not messed up. When we mess up, God's will still carries forward. The good news here is that even when we mess up, God is still at work because he's sovereign. Do you think Moses, this is a thought I had this week, do you think Moses had to spend 40 years in the wilderness so that he could lead the Hebrew nation from slavery? Do you think he had to? See, I'm not sure, because the scriptures certainly don't say that he needed to spend 40 years in the desert, in this desert boot camp. But all of this happened because Moses had God's will right, just not in the right timing and in the right way. And even as Moses sort of flees to the wilderness of Midian to run from the injustices that he's experiencing, he's also running from God. He goes to Midian, marries a Midianite woman, and raises, uh, names his son to remind him of his misery. But as he's running from God, God's sovereignty, he uses this lonely wilderness experience to draw Moses back to himself. For there is one thing that the royal Egyptian educational system could not teach Moses. And that one thing was how to depend on God. And for the first time in his life, Moses will have to deal with his own sin, his own unrighteousness, his faithlessness, and his powerlessness. In Moses' weakness, the strength of God will be magnified. And the scriptures, they're filled with wilderness stories. They're filled with stories of, of being in the desert, being in a lonely place, being in a time of struggle and of pain. We think of Abraham who left everything that was familiar to him and God calls him to a place. Then Abraham says, where am I going? And God says, just put your faith in me. What a wilderness story for Abraham and the exercise of his faith. You think about Joseph, right? Left for dead, sold as a slave, lied to, imprisoned, and it paves the way for the Hebrew nation to flourish in Egypt during a, a famine. Then there's Joshua, who was in the wilderness, just preparing, God preparing his heart 
to lead Israel into the promised land. And then there's Elijah who's hearing all of these voices, these, these distractions, and, and, and he's hearing all these competing voices, and he shuts it all out in the wilderness so that he can hear the voice of God leading him. Then there's Ruth. She's in a, not necessarily a wilderness or a desert, a dry desert experience, but she finds herself in a time of struggle and pain. She loses everything she knew and everything she loved, and God rescues her with a redeemer. Then the greatest of all desert stories, the story of Jesus who goes to the wilderness to say that the word of God is sufficient for him, even against the fiercest temptations that could come his way, so that one day he could deliver us when we caved into all of those temptations. It's in the wilderness that the sovereign God meets us. It's in the desert wilderness, the place that we don't want to go. It's a lonely place. That's where we encounter our own weaknesses and our own powerlessness, our own inability to be sufficient so that we can learn to trust and to rest in the strength and the power and the love of a sovereign God. A.W. Tozer, pastor and author, he says, it is doubtful. He says, it is doubtful whether God can really bless a man or a woman unless they are first hurt deeply. We live in a culture that it's opposed to suffering and to discipline in wilderness journeys. And I ask myself this question, can, can I deal with a desert, lonely journey? Can the people of Nova be a church that leans into God's sovereign discipline so that God's power can be perfected in our weakness? And when Moses finishes his wilderness journey, he will have been in it for 40 years. And when Moses emerges from that wilderness journey in chapter 5, no one wants an 80-year-old Moses as a deliverer. He emerges as old and frail and weak, soft-spoken. He's crippled by anxiety and fears. And no one wants that old man leading them, but the sovereign God does. And that's where God's calling for Moses' life is fulfilled in the right way and in the right time. And God does not want a self-dependent, strong, angry justice-enacting Moses to lead his people. And God's calling comes to full bloom We'll read later in chapter 5 and 6 where we find Moses with a broken and contrite, submitted heart that fully yields to the timing of the sovereign Lord. And the great news about God's will is that God is always at work even when we think he's asleep and God's grace. And we use that sort of church where we sing it, we say it. It's God's grace is God's unmerited favor, 
unmerited means we can't earn his favor. I can't earn God's blessing, his forgiveness. I can't earn his favor. And like us, Moses probably had no idea that God was at work, even in his mess-ups. And it appears that Moses might have given up. Moses murdered the guy, thought no one was watching, covered up the dead body, but he was found out, so he ran. And he ran to Midian. And Midianites, the land of Midian, they were mortal enemies of God's people. But he goes and runs to a, an enemy land. He marries a Midianite woman. And then he has a child. And he names him Stranger. He laments with his firstborn son to remind him of the mistakes that he made. And these are the lessons, though, of God's plan and purpose for our life. And we find this in chapter 2, verses 11 through 25 of Exodus, this transitional piece of Scripture that's so rich in understanding God's will for our life. We hear about the story of Moses who ran away from God's will to become this strange shepherd in a strange land only to name his firstborn son Stranger. The sovereign God is at work in our life even when we get the when and the how wrong. I love what Paul writes in Philippians chapter 1 in verse 6. He says, I'm so confident of this, Paul writes, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God's will is working in your life. And even when we get the wrong timing messed up, and even when we get the how we're doing it messed up, it's God's sovereignty that will carry us to the very end. Amen? Amen.